as I mentioned, today is not only the conclusion of chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel, but conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and thus, uh, it took us uh, one year to finish the Sermon on the Mount series. I don't know about you, but I, I've been so challenged and refreshed and look forward to chewing on uh, those words for deeper application in coming days as well. There's a quick overview of the Sermon on the Mount. And <clears throat> Matthew 6, verse 8 is a theme of the Sermon on the Mount. Do not be like them, Jesus said. Do not be like who? In one hand, it's Pharisees, the religious leaders who are leading their Christian, I mean, they're leading their spiritual life externally only. The externalism is very, very dangerous. It could lead, self-delude in, even in good intention. In another way of looking at it is do not be like them, like the pagans, like the secular unbelievers who follow the fleshly desire, whatever that they uh, own self-centeredness desires and long for. So which is very applicable to each one of us. We're not only to be different, but we are radically, we are to be radically different from the world. Rather than mimicking the world, we should be radically, counterculturally different from the world. We're also to be different from, radically different from the mainstream church culture, which is a religious culture that seeks external things only very easily. We could be part of that. So uh, in some sense, true Christian life is like swimming up against the current. John Stott wisely and subtitled his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, Christian Counterculture. Counter Christian counterculture. So w one time I heard that um, one of our church members, or our leaders were kind of reiterating what I said. So we are anti-culture. No, anti-culture is something that is going on regardless what, what it is, we are against it. That's part of the bad culture that we need to stay away from. But a counterculture is because values of Jesus is radically different, that we are to live and hold those values radically, counterculturally different. In what ways? S simply put, three ways. We are to be radically different in our character, starting with Beatitude, eight Beatitudes. Jesus said, this is you who you are in the kingdom of God. Not as who are you supposed to be in order to be saved. This is descriptive of the portrait 
of a citizen in the God's kingdom. Of course, there is always already and not yet sense. So we are already this. Unless you're poor in the spirit, unless you really saw your spiritual bankruptcy in your life, you cannot be saved. You are here in your own convictions. Holy Spirit let you saw, the open the eyes of your heart, not only abundant grace of God doesn't mean anything unless you see and I see the absolute poverty in our spirit, spiritual bankruptcy in our hearts. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. So even as a Christian, we need to think of or the beginning point of the true spiritual life as an inner change, inner transformation begins with that spiritual poverty. And because of the character that Jesus mentioned, and the part of it is our role or our mission in the world as being that character, salt and light, I didn't put it in because I just wanted to keep it very simple. And as a salt and light, we are to radically different in our conduct, everyday life. Not in a superficial external things that we listen to Christian radio station, we go to Christian concert, Christian books and Christian bookstore, Christian movies. All those things could be good. Sometimes it can be very superficial, including crusades that you go, you know, a bunch of uh, well-meaning people got a good seat and start yelling, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? <laughs> and then you, can't, you, you cannot say anything. I mean, you have to beat them louder, and we say that. But it is superficial. Christian conduct. Without a saying a word, regular irreligious people and very superficially religious people should take note in the difference in our conduct. When we are offended, when we are angry, when we are when we are hurt. When we forgive others, when we become considerate of others, and when we love others, we are to be radically different. We are to be radically different in our marital life, in our thought life, in our everyday life. And thirdly, this past few weeks, the concluding mark is a radical choice. Jesus presents us the fork of the road. Christian life is not either or. You could do both. You have to choose narrow gate and narrow road from the wide gate and broad road. You have to choose between the two trees who who do we listen to in terms of the people who are delivering God's voices? There are true 
speakers and prophets. They're tr false speakers and uh, prophets in our days. And another, another fork of the road last message on this series was on self-deception. Not many of you, not all of you, Jesus said, who says, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of God. And then he also said, on that day, many will say, not few will say, deny, do this in your name, Lord. And he doesn't even deny their action. He simply says, I never knew you. The Christian life is not a something that we try hard to get to know our way of being, um, achieving the status of that I think I know God. Remember Jesus' words, it was not, you never knew me. Sounds same, but it's very different. Think about this. Some of us, especially the celebrities in TV or the people who, whom we admire so much that we know so much about them, we feel like we know them. But when they walk into this room and you act like you know him or her, or her and you go to the person, with gladness and so happy to see them, and that person might say, I, I don't know you. But Jesus' words is stronger. I never knew you. And today, conclusion is a crescendo of that warning. So think about this. The scripture guidance is something that we cannot control. We would like to have Jesus who finishes messages with tender loving grace and mercy. Everything's going to be okay, son. Everything's going to be okay, my daughter. Jesus ends with Super-duper warning. Why? Because of the possibility of misleading ourselves. And Jesus' message has been all along in a similar way. And the punchline today, I'll give it to you. Put them into practice. I will be the first, first person to admit that glancing over the Bible, I thought I understood some things. Especially years ago, when I read this passage, I read it wrongly, wrongly mistakenly, thinking that it's, it's there. So with that open heart, I want us to pay attention 
to make an observation, very fine-tuning um, keen observation of every word that Jesus says because he doesn't waste every word any word so let's start with reading the passage one more time his warning is sends at 27 his message ends at 27 verse 27 Verse 28 and 29, Matthew records the response of the audience, which uh, delivers another message for us. But start, let's start with verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's start with this observation. What are the similarities of these two builders? Number one, both builders hear the words of Jesus teaching and are building the same kind of house. So there's a two people. Uh, if we don't pay attention to the context, we might think that religious people and irreligious people, and a wise person, and foolish person. No. Jesus is actually addressing to the followers, so-called the disciples, of the Sermon on the Mount. The message target audience was followers of Jesus. So when you think about the building the house, each person is building life. But both are building religious life. Both are building Christian life with good intention. Secondly, both houses that they're building look quite secure in good weather. And that is, there's nothing to test the integrity of that house. And everything looks just looking good and, and looking even secure. How about third observation? Both houses are struck indiscriminately by, the, by floods and by storms, which is trials and hardship, and ultimately, 
Jesus is referring to the final judgment day of the Lord. When he returns and judges the entire world, that they will not, their Christian life, their house will not stand. And the great will be its fall. Isn't it interesting? It's just a leaning toward to the church life or Christian life. One might think that it is doable, especially in our consumer-oriented culture. Church life gets easier and easier. And one could not only profess, but live a life, a lifestyle of a Christian. And Jesus saying, is, watch out. You might just delude yourself. You might be thinking that you're building a good house. But it might not stand at all. So in that regard, let's look at the differences this time. Only one builder takes time to build a strong foundation. The wise builder builds upon rock. This, has, this is, doesn't mean upon boulder. He digs deep enough. Takes time in our sense, you know, that when you go to constru construction of build, taller the building gets deeper, they deep, dig, and the concrete and the fo solid foundation is utterly important. That takes long time. And after that is settled, going up is a tremendous speed compared to that, right? But the foolish builds on sand in hurry. And here's the, the little observation that we need to make and reflect this word as our mirror for our word. Temporarily, instantaneously, right now, who might be most successful? Who might be wiser? The foolish. Because sand doesn't require any, any kind of digging. And you could build right away. And you, you look very efficient. You look very happy. Because everything happens so fast. And in your own way. Doesn't it remind you about Jesus calling us enter through the narrow gate? Wide is the road and easier. The road, e the road is easy. Many are entering through it and journeying through it. But you enter through the narrow gate, it is difficult road. It is so difficult that not many chooses it. Fewer chooses it compared to broad road and wide gate. And looking at the culture of a, at least in America, what sounds like wise builder 
What sounds like foolish builder? And the confession that I'm making is, it's not that easy. Unless we have a really discerning and vigilant heart and eyes. And once again, my previous ministry, I will not throw them away. Because that what God has done, God gets the glory. And I am who I am because God's training through that time of 12 or more than 12 years there. But I still remember each year I used to go to few conferences, big, huge conferences. What's the theme? The theme goes like this. The fastest growing church. The fast growing, fastest growing small groups movement. The fastest growing discipleship movement. The fastest way of letting people to stay instead of visitors check out and never come back. And the words like a best practice in this. The worship leader should look like this. The worship team should perform at this level. And a lot of our people are very competent, and they've been through that. And I'm so grateful for their heart doing the similar things, but in a totally different heart. Why? <coughs> Compared to, you know, what the standard that said, our church is really homey. I'll begin with, I have a, I, we have a homey pastor, right? It looks fancier. And the worship leader looks like a, you know, some kind of alternative rock star with a little bit of tattoo on it. The pastor doesn't wear this kind of a unfashionable pants. They wear tight pants that it's hip, right? I can't even fit into them. <laughs> Going back to the point, if we have naive eyes, right now, foolish builders looks wiser, and uh, wise builders look foolish. Second difference, there's only one house withstands floods and storms. The wise, it does not fall. The foolish house, the person's house, it falls with a great crash. I think the third point is even more important for us to. The subtle difference hinges not on hearing, but on obedience. Wise put them into practice. Foolish does not put them into practice. Okay, here's what I used to do in reading wrongly. Just glancing over. Check this out. The subtle difference, notice it, Jesus did not say, Make an observation what 
is different from the actual text. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine will be like wise men who built his house upon, uh, on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and bid on that house. But it did not fall, because it had, had been founded on the rock. And everyone who does not hear these words of mine will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it felt, and great was the fall of it. It sounds about right, isn't it? This is the point that we need to remember. Everyone who then who hears these words of mine and does them, those are called foolish, I mean, wise builders. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them are foolish builders. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, a brilliant young man um, who wrote incredible books at his young age. And Fear and Trembling, I think he wrote it during his teen years. And Soren actually picked up looking for Kierkegaard's book. And I think it's a little bit too difficult. And he said, oh, I read something about him and it really intrigues me. So I said, here, Fear and Trembling, I hope you finish it. So he's holding on to it. The illustration is from Soren Kierkegaard. He gave a modern parable of duck land. The many ducks are gathering together on Sunday morning at the duck church. And the duck pastor is heartily preaching. We ducks have wings. We can fly. Like soar like eagles. And every duck in that congregation. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, we can. And at the end of the service, they waddle back to their home. You see the point? What good is it to talk about wings and fly if you don't try, if you don't practice? And <laughs> The, uh, the obvious point is um, deluding us. You know what we re equate? I listen to Christian radio. I take sermon notes. And I go to home group, Bible study. A man and woman's group, we talk about scripture. And I, I have a book that I study right now. Oh, isn't it wonderful? Can we talk about it? I have some questions about it. Can we talk about this passage? This intrigues me. And we call those people very devout Christians usually, right? 
But Jesus is saying, anyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them is a foolish man, foolish woman, who builds her house, his house, upon sand. Gently, but firmly, can I have you reflect on your own heart? What was your last application from the scripture you have read? Whether your quiet time, whether sermon, what was the last thing that you obeyed and you remember? If you cannot remember, that is enough sign for you and me to think about this warning as ours. I even journal about that. Did you do them? Oh, Jesus forgives me, so I ought to forgive those who offend me. Did you forgive your husband? Did you forgive your wife, your co-worker? Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you seek first kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or do you seek your own family's happiness and your own kids' success? It's seemingly good. See, Jesus calls for obedience, not the abstract concepts of his teaching. He's basically finished the sermon, and he said, these words of mine. What do you think he's referring to? Obviously, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Judge not. Lest to be judged. And I tell you, love your neighbor. And also, love your enemy. Because enemy, your enemy is your, your, your neighbor also. Do not clean up your act only on the outside, thinking that you never had an affair. Anyone who has lustful thought against a woman, against men, willingly have already committed adultery. So keep a pure heart. Our Lord, that's kind of, you know, I'm, I have knees and I have men. It's really difficult. And my, my wife is tired all the time. And she, she has a couple of babies that she needs to take care of. She doesn't need my meet my sexual needs. So it's okay, right? As long as I don't carry out my act fully. A little bit of porn here and a little bit of porn there. That's okay. Once again, I am not speaking of moralism here. That you clean up your act on the outside. That you certain days that you don't, you haven't thought about lustful things or didn't cuss or didn't get angry in a kind of ugly way to against your 
kids. It's the relational. I never knew you is that, that we want to please Lord Jesus. Is it something wrong about hearing? Not at all. Because hearing is the entrance of obedience. And our faith comes from the hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. But it matters what type of hearing we are doing so that we do not think, equate ourselves hearing as obedience. Four levels at least. Romans 10 verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, he says. So what kind of hearing? Why is two different people have a two different kind of hearing that leads to obedience or paralysis? Nothing. Level one, hearing the word superficially. And physical hearing and uh, the peril of the sword, Jesus calls these people the heart, their heart, roadside soil. What happens is he's falling on the roadside and the birds immediately comes and picks it and takes it away. The, the Satan takes it away and bears no fruit and no obedience, obviously. But they do hear physically. Number two level is hearing the word for knowledge only. Mentally responsive. You know the outline. You know the points. But these are people who are called uh, rocky soil. Mark 4, 16. There's an immediate gladness, responsiveness. These people are open to hearing. These people think that it's profound and wise. Yes. Maybe we need to begin to think about not, not these people. We could be like these people. His heart still bears no fruit, no obedience. Level three. Hearing the word with Feelings only. There is a hallelujah and amen. And there's even tears for that. This is an emotionally responsive hearing. And there could be a crying and running up and down the aisle because of excitement of hearing the word. But what happens? These are like uh, hearts are like thorny soil. In other words, there seems to be some growth. The leaf comes out, but the, as soon as the thorns hinder the growth, it hurts. And Jesus even specified the worries of the world and the afflictions of the world. So there's any obstacles, and it's difficult to do 
to do spiritual disciplines or have quiet time and community things, the growth stops. I think this is the point that we need to think about. <coughs> Self-delusion. Equating ourselves. Aren't we better than level one roadside soil? And we heard not only with knowledge, but we are responsive. Our hearts are open. And Jesus said, no fruit. Abide in me, I in you. Why? Unless you abide in me and I in you, you cannot bear any fruit. More blatant, more harsh words would be, you cannot live a Christian life. The life is not there in you. And if you really truly belong to God, belong to Christ, when you don't, do not bear fruit, there's got to be some kind of grieving of the Holy Spirit that we feel as a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Yes, if you harden your heart and calloused, you could go on and on and become very dangerous. Because just because a mere profession cannot take you through the entrance to the kingdom of God. So once again, the broad road, the wide gate and broad road says, it's all grace. There's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter what you do. Technically, theologically, it may be right. The fuller picture is, if you do not bear fruit, there is no seed of God in you. You could struggle. You could continually stumble over same sin over and over. But you have a desire. You have a longing in your heart. I cannot go on living like this. I will return to God. I will return to Christ. And I will abide in him. I want to please him. Relationally. Not because of my performance. Not because of what my wife said. Or my husband said. My pastor said. My home group leader says. But because I love him. After all said and done. At the end of the day. I want to please my Lord. If you don't have this, oh, you know, in the wilderness time, the dry time, and in you are continually stubborn against God, yes, this could be dry. But if this never comes, as a loving pastor, as a true pastor, I challenge you to do some self-examination. For those of us who think that we made it because I at least I have desire, I struggle a lot, this message makes us to think about 
I need to make choice. I cannot linger in between and go to the level four, which is hearing the word with realization in heart that leads to action. Not only wholeheartedly responsive reading, there is a surrender, surrendering of will. Not only knowledge, uh, our, our intellect, our emotion, but also our volition is involved in this hearing. Some of you encourages me quite from time to time. Paul, that was a great message. Thank you. You know what? We'll in 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 the sight of God, what will really make me affirmed and hear, affirmed to hear. That some of you, I feel compelled to do this after the message. And I still remember as a young person, so some messages prompted the leading of the Holy Spirit. I've got to do this. It, it wasn't a funny illustration. It wasn't a story. It wasn't any kind of intellectual amusement. But it was the compelling sense of, I have to do this if I'm going to follow Christ. It's a good soil. About four different hearts, four different kinds of hearing. This is the only soil that has seed of faith alive. Why? Because it bears fruit. Not any of those three will bear fruit. There is a little bit of difference. But bearing fruit is hearing them and to them. And in sermon, the parable of the sower, and Jesus says 30, 60, even 100 times. And in light of this year's spiritual direction, uh, our vision for Crossway that Holy Spirit gave us. Remember? To bear much fruit in fullness of joy. It's not some of, some of a, an accomplishment at all. Through our obedience, Jesus multiplies that obedience in every action of our, our obedience. Jesus bears the fruit through us. I hope the clarity is there rather than in a blurry idea of just intending to be good is enough. So how do we apply this? I have three suggestions uh, this morning. Number one, we are to examine our hearts on self-deception by looking at our, our obedience and fruit. Uh, this is a redundant uh, in some sense. Examination, self-examination is necessary. Evaluate whether you are building wisely or foolishly. Remember that. If you look at naive with naive eyes, foolish builders will look temporarily much wiser, street smart kind of thing. 
and repent from self-realization if there's any. Psalm 139, 23-24, David is praying this prayer that we ought to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The more I think about it, the more I think I became more knowledgeable, especially all those home group Bible study we did, I'm more knowledgeable about Exodus. And Jesus is asking us, how's your heart? The bearing fruit in action? Lord, I just realized I become either proud because of my knowledge, increasing knowledge. I cleaned up outside pretty nicely. I think we ought to pray this prayer together and alone as well. Secondly, we are to improve our hearing of the word by surrendering ourselves wholly to the lordship of Jesus Christ. By lordship of Jesus Christ, I mean that actually we practice that Jesus is Lord. My money is yours. My time is yours. My family is yours. My kids yours. My church life is yours. Lord, you are the master. Remember the last message? Kurios, Lord. That referring to deity, Lord. When we say kurios, in response, what are we saying about us? Lord, master. I'm a doulas. I'm a servant, bond servant, voluntarily became slave of Jesus. Resist the temptation of substituting hearing for doing. And let's get rid of obstacles in our hearts when hearing the word. The concluding remarks shows the reason for this lordship of Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, verse 28 to 29. And Jesus finished these sayings, and the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. He didn't not only sound confident, there is a sense of authority. Jesus has that authority because he is, whether we or they acknowledge or not, Lord of the universe, the final ultimate judge of everyone. On that day, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord. So as we continue to seek scripture guidance, let's not equating our activity of reading and reflecting and sharing and discussing with actual doing. Third and lastly, we are to obey what we hear from Scripture 
simply put them into practice. And start with the lessons that we learned through Sermon on the Mount. And then aim for practical application in your daily quiet time. So let's say um, through the uh, Apostle Paul's letter to Ephesians, Ephesian Christians, chapter 3, wasn't it really mind-boggling prayer that he's praying for the believers? And then practical, concrete application should be for whom should I pray? Is it my heart? My, my, of course, that Christ will stay, will be at home, that he is free to reign in our hearts, that we begin to know the, how, how high, how wide, how deep his love is. And I want to pray my men's group brothers. I want to pray for my woman's group sisters who are struggling. I want to pray my, for my neighbors. I want to pray for my relatives. Something very simple, but in a concrete, rather than becoming a commentator, Commentator is equating hearing the word with the doing. This passage is about this. I think we all need to do this. No, I feel convicted about this and I will do this. That's doing the word of the Lord. In closing, I'm going to share Eugene Peterson's words, which is very appropriate for us in terms of how to read scripture and how to meditate, how to listen to anything about God says from, from Lord Jesus. And this is uh, his, one of his uh, books called uh, Eat the Word. Eat the book. I think eat the, eat the book. Peterson writes, so what is the way in regard to scripture How do we receive this text? Here's how. By listening and responding and submitting. Let it be to me according to your word is the way I read this text. By the way, that's the response of Mary, Virgin Mary, to the uh, angel Gabriel who delivered the message that she will be with child. Our reading of this text is a personal listening to a personal God. We listen to God speak our lives into being. We listen to the story that provides a narrative shape and meaning to a life of following Jesus in the conditions of the world. It is a prayerful, relational, obedient listening. But it's not the American way of reading. Too many of us read only for information, for know-how, to better ourselves, to prepare for a job, for a profession. When we need a break from that, we read for diversion, for entertainment. 
are so right, so convicting that sharp words that we need to hear. As we conclude Sermon on the Mount series, my heart beats faster for the love of God's word. And many of you told me that scripture be has become much more meaningful to you. Uh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Oh, but unless we give heed to the warning of Jesus, that we, our knowledge and our passion for the word and we are our devotion to scripture reading and scripture meditation, unlike typical church, we will become proud. We will become, you know, strangely hardened believers whose rationalizing blind us. When we read prayerfully, relationally, obediently, and submitting ourselves to the word of God, let it be do, done, be done according to your word, to me. Our heart will become tender, submissive to the word, submiss to God's authority, even when it's difficult to read. Our heart, our life will be filled with joy, not just dutifulness. And this is a joy of the Lord. People of the Lord drink from the fountain of life. This is a living water. Not a salt water that you drink and you become thirstier like the worldly pleasures, entertainments and other things. But when you meet God relationally, read and hear the Lord Jesus, our heart responds Response, our heart becomes responsive to the living water. We become quenched in our souls and the depth of our heart. Hence, we become thirstier. And I'm praying for this fall season, the living water will make us thirstier people. Soft, tender people. And may it be done to us as God wills for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your words. Actually, these words of your sermon past year, past year we have heard. Now give us strength and the wisdom to actually do them, apply them, and radically obedient to you, that our obedience will be multiplied in, in fruit bearing. Well, keep us, our church, tender, thirstier, humble, compassionate, and becoming more aware of your holiness and our sinfulness before you. And when we feel that, help us to feel joyful because of your grace, because your mercy never ends. And make our church become doers of the word, not just the hearers of the word.
We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.